AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know. I object. To what? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think you object in front of the Supreme Court. I think they strike you down with lightning if you (laughs) talk out of turn. Yeah, do they even... uh, Geez, I'd love to see one of those hearings. Yeah. Do they even call them hearings? Uh, Magic hour? Right. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sh- yeah, they do call them hearings. They I'm almost positive. It's like shrouded in secrecy, though, right? You never. N- no, I. They I don't show that stuff on TV, do they? Like C-SPAN. No, they. No, but they do have like like if you listen to Nina Totenberg, she's great Supreme Court reporter. Yeah, and um, it's all just it's not televised, and I guess it is just traditional reporting reporters that are allowed in there. Yeah, but it's not closed to. The press or anything. It's not like a FISA court or anything. It's not, like it's not that. the Star Chamber. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it's interesting though. It's, it is sort of, it does seem sort of secretive though, because they like write these rulings. Sometimes they don't even read them. I saw that Clarence Thomas went seven years without speaking in court. What? Yeah. That's what it said. Where did you see that? Uh, in an article about Clarence Thomas. It said he, huh. he's one of the quietest justices. They said he went at one point seven years without speaking in court. Huh. But uh apparently writes a lot sure. in his uh um rulings and you know his briefs. His briefs. Yeah. He writes in his briefs. Yeah, I could see that because I guess when you're in court you're arguing in front of the Supreme Court and I think basically and we'll do like a whole separate Supreme Court episode. Yeah. Right? You agree? Sure. Okay. Um somebody mark that down. Right. Uh but you are you're being peppered with questions from them. And then, like you're you're trying to answer the questions to to show why your side is right, right? You're arguing this case, Clarence Thomas, he right? Just no, sits there and goes mm-hmm. and intimidates yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, part of it is going back, thinking about it, and then writing your opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. very weird job. It is. It's a pretty neat job too. Yeah. And one of the big things about it is it's in here in the United States. If you are on the Supreme Court, it's the highest court in the land. Right. Sure. I guess we should say that you're there for life. Yeah, it's a it's a life appointment is the only as far as I know, besides, uh, you know, um, working at the DMV. Am I right? It's the only <laughs> for life appointment. Yeah. Uh, in the United States government. Yeah. Which seems like kind of crazy. But it also sort of makes sense because you want you want a stable Supreme Court. 
Yeah, you want them focusing on cases, not, you know, what's going on. Yeah, or, or whether or, they need sure. to be elected again or yeah. campaign. That makes, it makes sense once you kind of put your head to it. Plus, it also kind of dovetails with the way that they're viewed here in this country, and I'm sure abroad too, um, that they are this panel of highly learned legal scholars. Yeah. Just basically like, um, uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's something in Star Wars that resembles <laughs> this, you know? Oh. The Jedi Council. Oh, man. I, I'm always afraid to say anything about Star Wars. You know, the Jedi Council that Jar Jar Binks was on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we won't hear anything about that. How could we? Right. Uh, so this was written by our old buddy, Ed Grabianowski. Yeah. Should we tell everybody? The Grabster? Should we reveal the big reveal? Do we have an announcement? I think so. All right. Go ahead. Oh, you're letting me do it? Yeah. So everybody, you may not know this because we tried to stretch out Grabster articles as much as we could, but they were starting to get thin. Yeah. Grabster wasn't really writing for the site any longer. Well, we said, enough of this. We need them. Yeah. We need them bad. So we did a little wheeling, tad bit of dealing, and Grabster is going to be writing, again, specifically topics that we are requesting. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. Like, you and I were both so excited. Stoked, I think, is the word. Yeah. So anyway, we love Ed, and uh big shout out to him and to Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And their wings. And their football team. Sure. Why not? Uh, so anyway, Ed wrote this, um, and, you know, it's a great article. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like you said, I think we kind of dove into it really quickly, but um, if you're not in the United States, you might be saying, what's the Supreme Court? Although I think you probably know. Um, like you said, they are the highest court, and um, they're the third branch of our government. Yeah. Uh, and they are specifically, specifically there to kind of keep everyone in check and to say, like, you know, you may be the president, but... You're not a, a dictator mm-hmm. because you still have to answer to the Supreme Court at the end of the day. You can't run amok. Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we, and this is ideally, we're gonna make sure that we review everything in a in a legal way, and we're gonna get to ideology. You can't escape that, of course. Sure. But you know, Supreme Court justices are supposed to rule on law, and specifically these days, at least how it relates to the Constitution. Yeah. And that's a, it wasn't their initial, they weren't created to say like, go defend the Constitution. Right. Uh, and they, the Supreme Court said, well, can we sew some patches or bedazzle our robes? And the, the <laughs> framer said, sure, we don't care. So they went out and defended the Constitution. It, it actually is very vague. The, the judicial branch or the Supreme Court is created in the Constitution, but all it says is that they are there to um they that its power should shall quote extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution that's it yeah. it's the only thing it mentions about the supreme court and its power so ever since the constitution was written and ratified the supreme court has kind of been this evolving thing or yeah. it was evolving for a while. Now it's pretty well set into into its role and in, in what it's meant to do. Yeah. What evolves and changes are, like you said, the ideology and the personalities sure. of the of the people sitting on the court. Yeah, and their word is the final word. Um, there n- there is no court that can overturn or review even their decisions, and they review. They have about five thousand cases submitted every year, and can only review about a hundred to one hundred and fifty. Which I thought was kind of a lot, actually. 150? Sure. Yeah, I was not expecting that. 
Um, and they specifically try now, like we said, and focus on the Constitution or um, usually cases that have been uh, appealed from lower federal courts. Mm-hmm. You know, they work their, their way up the food chain. Um, or, and I think they probably love these, uh, treason, cases involving treason or disputes with other countries or ambassadors, kind of like, you know, the high stakes stuff. Sure. Imagine being an ambassador and getting dragged in front of the Supreme Court for something you did. Being Or your kid did. Yeah, probably. <laughs> those, those little snot-nosed brats. Ambassador kids. <laughs> so like like I was saying, the, um, the Constitution is pretty vague about what the Supreme Court is meant to do. And it wasn't even out of the gate that they realized that they were supposed to really kind of examine laws in respect to the Constitution. That started in an 1803 case. Marbury versus Madison. Big one. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a landmark watershed case. Both, both kinds. Um, and ironically, the court found that it didn't have the power to satisfy the petitions of the petitioners. Yeah. Uh, I think James Madison, or no, Stefan Marbury was suing James <laughs> Madison because James Madison had said, um, we'll give you these commissions. Yeah. And then he was taken out of office or he phased out of office and the commissions were forfeited. And the Supreme Court said, you know, we thought we had the power to do this, but it turns out we don't constitutionally. Right. So sorry. And it was the first time that the Supreme Court had ever examined something through the lens of the Constitution. And that set the precedent from then on. Yeah. And they serve, uh, well, they serve kind of however long they want to or if they die, obviously. Yeah. Um, but they average about 14 years. Um, or if they retire, they average uh, retirement age is 71. Um, but they can serve super long. I, I know that one justice served for 35 years. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you, if you nominate a young judge. Yeah. Which is kind of more of the trend these days when you're thinking politically. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we want someone in there for our team. So pick a young one. Right. Uh, then they can have. Tremendous sway in how things go in this country. Year after year after year after year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the reason why they have so much sway is <clears throat> like the stuff that they're, they're ruling on is constitutional in nature. And here in the United States, if it's, if it's constitutional, if it's guaranteed by the Constitution, protected by the Constitution, mm-hmm. outlawed by the Constitution, whatever, however the Supreme Court measures the law against the Constitution, like you said, that's the law of the land. Yeah. From that point on, um, any law similar to uh, what the Supreme Court just ruled on, it's immediately null and void. Like it's done. Um, Ed uses a really good example in this. He said, like if if Maine bans anti-war signs from right. people's front yards and the Supreme Court rules that that law is unconstitutional. Well, if Rhode Island has a similar law or California has a similar law, those those laws are immediately uh, illegal, I guess. Right. Um, and it's not like Rhode Island's going to bring their case and then California's going to try their case. Once they rule, it's done. It's been ruled on. That's by right. The, by the SC. Yeah. And uh, there are nine justices. um Right now there are eight, which we're going to get into. And uh, obviously having an odd number means you can break a tie. So it's um, with eight, you can have a tie. Mm-hmm. And when you do have a tie, they've actually thought about this, believe it or not, they arm wrestle. <laughs> it's, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah. They don't arm wrestle. But um, what happens is the lower court decision 
is what's called passively upheld, which means that for that case only, it's upheld, but it's not like the Supreme Court didn't rule on it and it doesn't create that, that nationwide legal precedent right. forever and ever. Yeah. It's passive aggressive. And someone could, you know, once they get that ninth person, they could bring up a similar case, not mm-hmm. the same one, but a similar one if they want to like have that precedent set. Right. And the Supreme Court can be like, let's try it again. Yeah. But yeah, if you, for a, uh, a case to be decided definitively, all you need is a simple majority, five to four. Yeah. And a lot of cases these days in the United States are, have, have like five to four decisions. Oh yeah. Um, which is, the fact that that's a pattern and that it's routine really kind of shows you how just close to the center that, that uh, ideologically the, the bench is. Yeah. And, um, that all it would take was, you know, one or two votes that you can really rely on one way or the other. It's going to be super liberal or it'll be super conservative. Yeah. And these days it's, um, I mean, sometimes you'll get surprises on yeah. ide- ideology. Yeah. Like, oh, we thought this person would vote this way or that way. But generally, you've got kind of the four on the left, the four on the right, or, you know, you did before Scalia died. And um, I think Kennedy is sort of the, the swing vote, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, of course. Right. It used to be Sandra Day O'Connor. Right. But when when they say, oh, we were surprised we thought they were going to vote this way, that's putting it about as mildly as you can. <laughs> what, surprise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Outrage? Like, oh, I, I, I wasn't expecting that. Fiddle DD. Yeah, and I looked up some of the, I mean, we'll get to this later, but some of the appointees, um, throughout history have been made by like a conservative appoints a conservative and then they might grow a little more liberal over time or yeah. the other way around. Yeah. And they're always like, they're so upset. Right. Like, you know, I thought this is what we were getting, but to me, that's, how it should be, you know, like that means probably that that judge is deciding cases based on merit. Right. And not like I'm just dug in and entrenched in one ideology. Yes. Which is exactly what you want from a Supreme Court justice. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. We're talking about appointments. So uh, we'll get to that right after this. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. 
Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. All right, how's this work? Appointing? Yeah. So remember, the Constitution is when their Supreme Court do it. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> right. I'm going to take a nap. Um, so appoint appointments, it's, it's all just made up, right? There's no qualifications. Uh, there's no requirements. You, you or I could be nominated to be on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Te- technically, you're totally if, right. If a president was like, I want to figure out the fastest way to ruin my political career. Right. I've got it. <laughs> Josh and Chuck. That's what, as that's, one. That'd be a good way to do it. Because again, here in this country, People treat Supreme Court nominations like a religion. Yeah. It's a big, big deal. Not even to like get someone through the process, just to nominate somebody yeah. can bring so much blowback from your party, from the voters, from the opposing party, from everybody that you really want to think it through. It's not a haphazard thing. But as, as far as the, starting the whole thing off, you have a list of qualified candidates. Uh-huh. I think every single Supreme Court justice in history has been a lawyer at least. Correct. But lately, almost all of them, the only person on the Supreme Court now who isn't a judge is Elena Kagan. Um, but the trend is, is most of them are federal judges who are called up to the bigs. Yeah, and a lot of them have even served as clerks uh, mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court. Right. Um, so what they're looking for with all that is experience. Yeah, and and for the last 150 years, not only have they been attorneys, but they've they didn't go to, you know, the the strip mall. Although, was it O'Connor? Well, she didn't go to a strip mall law school, but she was a strip mall lawyer, I think. Yeah, yeah. At first. Yeah. But they have all graduated from, like, an accredited, <laughs> legit university. Yeah, like, not like Dr. Nick, who graduated from the <laughs> upstairs medical clinic. Is that what it was called? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Tijuana Upstairs Medical Clinic. <laughs> Uh, a lot of these um, justices, before their Supreme Court uh, appointment, have been involved in politics. Um, some of them have been governors. Some of them have been in Congress. There was even one former president, one Howard Taft. Howard Taft is actually a great story. He hated being president, hated it, loved being a Supreme Court justice. I could see that. He sat on the bench. It groaned. Anyway, I'm home. <laughs> This is great. The bench groaned. Yeah. I know that for a little while there were people, there, was, there were rumblings that uh, Obama might be in line for a Supreme Court appointment. Wow. Had the election gone a different way. Yeah. Which would have been. Uh, I could see that. I could too. But, um, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. No, I don't see Trump <laughs> appointing Obama. No. All right. So once this nomination goes through, um, and, you know, the president, it used to be like a very, I don't know about solitary. Probably they're a little close circle, but now, like you said, they get a list and that, that's culled from a group of very smart people right. that are, um, trying to firmly entrench their own ideologies. Sure. Basically. Yeah. So they're going to choose from that list, uh, the candidate, mm-hmm. um, and nominate them officially. And the Senate then will hold hearings. And just recently, you know, we've seen this going on. You know, this is happening right now with, uh, Gorsuch. Yeah. And the whole thing would have started with Gorsuch getting a phone call from the Prez saying, uh, hey, I want you to want me. 
<laughs> on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And uh, Gorsuch was like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. He's like, you're going to be on the Supreme Court and hung up. Right. And that was it. And then, uh, yeah, the name gets released to the press and the Senate says, all right, well, let's get busy. Let's get to work. And um, this whole high beehive of activity just starts kicking up around this one poor sap yeah. who accepted the nomination and now has everyone from the Justice Department to congressional aides putting on latex gloves and going right up their rectum to try <laughs> to see what they can find in this person's past. Yeah, and not only what they can find in their past, but really grilling them um, on maybe where he or she might lie ideologically. Like, right. how, how would you rule in this case uh, that it has happened? How right. would you feel about this case? Right. And I was watching um, a news network the other day talking about how Gorsuch did such a masterful job of, like, dodging. Deflecting it? Yeah, about like not going on record with with how they lean, right? Um, that, and that's tradition. That's well, yeah. Custom. Apparently, they they the, like the one thing that you're supposed to do up there is not give anything away. No, because and it's if, just a big dance. And if they said, yeah, Joe Biden back in I think the '80s called it a kabuki dance, <laughs> um, and nice. Elena Kagan called it a vapid and hollow charade uh-huh. because. The senators are trying to pin you down one way or another uh-huh. on your views on gun control, abortion, right. all of these hot-button issues that the Supreme Court has either ruled on, may rule on in the future, may overturn at some point, um, that, that really split the country ideologically. And the point of these Senate hearings is basically for the, the, the nominee to sit there and not give up anything. Because if they did do that... Yeah. Then they would have to recuse themselves from that case for having gone on the public record of stating their position. Well, yeah, and it's the opposition's party's job to sit there and sigh and rub their temples and say, well, it just seems like you don't want to go on record for anything. Right. And they never get to respond. Duh. Yeah. It's a Senate hearing right. for Supreme Court justice is yeah. what always happens. It's really funny that, that they play that up, that like so the senators weird. act like they just can't believe what's going on, <laughs> even though this has been happening for decades now. Yeah. It, it's just a big, I don't know about a charade, but I think part of it is they, mm-hmm. part of it is to see how well they can hold up to the grilling too. Probably. I think that's part of it as well. But the, the, the group that probably plays the biggest role in, in, in kind of rooting out what the nominee's politics are, yeah. are the aides in the Justice Department and whatever they leak to the media. Right. Because um, you're not going to, you wouldn't find anything out about, say, like Gorsuch from those two days of hearings. Right. No one found anything out about him. If that's all you know about that guy was those two days of hearings, you didn't read anything else about it, uh-huh. you'd have no idea what his positions were. You'd just be like, that guy's got one of the better haircuts I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that's all you would get from it. Yeah. But the media tends to report on it, and they kind of fulfill the role that um, that that the Senate fails at every single time. And it'll be things like um, Harriet Myers was, was, um, was nominated by George W. Bush. And um, it, it, he just got immediate blowback for it. It was a terrible nomination. Yeah. But one of the things somebody found was that she had contributed some money back in 1988, like a good 
15 something years before uh-huh. to Al Gore's presidential campaign. <laughs> that was the like they gun. find like little stuff like yeah. that and they try to put it all together to create a picture so that the senators can ask him about stuff or whatever or right. the media can, can paint a picture one way or another uh, and everyone can try to divine how they're going to rule. Now did Harriet Myers actually go through the Senate hearings? Or did no, she withdraw? She withdrew. Well, that, that's what will happen a lot of times. If there is a skeleton in their closet, mm-hmm. sometimes they want to accept the nomination. Not even for that reason. Sometimes they want to accept the nomination because they're like, no, nah, man, I know it. I, I don't want to go through all that. I, I'm fine just being on my federal circuit here. Right. Um, but sometimes they'll withdraw if they know that they won't make it through that and they don't want that drug out in public. And sometimes the um, the president will withdraw that nomination to avoid that kind of embarrassment, too. Right. Um like Clarence Thomas, I don't know how they missed that or if they did, you know, he famously uh, allegedly sexually harassed Anita Hill. Right. And I don't know if they that didn't come to light until the hearings or if... That's what my guess was. Really? I think they they started the hearings and they were still doing investigations and they oh, hadn't okay. gotten to Anita Hill yet. He would have not be wrong, made it today, that's... I don't think, in today's climate. No, that was, that was nuts. Um but the, what's ironic about it is that he wouldn't make it in today's climate with our awareness and understanding of sexual harassment. But those hearings, his his um, Supreme Court um, confirmation hearings, were what exposed the world to sexual harassment, yeah. the concept of it that we understand today. It is rooted in that moment, in those three days, yeah. where Anita Hill stood up and was like, this is messed up, and I'm going to share it. Um and and Clarence Thomas famously called the whole thing a high tech lynching. Yeah. And then after all this, so he was about to be voted on. There was debate in the Senate, which we'll get to this process in a second. They sent after this came to light, they sent it back to the committee hearings. Yeah. So he took a huge step backward in the confirmation process. Had to go through three days of Anita Hill's testimony, and then after that, the Senate still said, "All right, cool, we'll we'll confirm you." Yeah, and he was so upset. He said, "You know, I'm not going to talk for seven years." <laughs> <laughs> right? I'll show you. So, um, by and large, though, the the vast majority of uh, appointee um, submissions—what would you call them? Nominations—are <laughs> right. appointed. Right. Oh, I think it's something like there have been 161 nominations. And 124 have been confirmed. Right. I think there's only been 36 rejections. And so the rest are withdraws, withdrawals. Uh-huh. Um, or there's one very recent one that I think is the first in history. Um, Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland. Uh, yeah. That just didn't even get heard. Yeah. Um, which is very much a, an unusual, uh, step that was taken in the process. Yeah, I mean, this just happened. Everyone saw it happen. Um, Obama was in his last year mm-hmm. of his presidency. And so uh, Republican senators basically said, not only are we not going to vote on it, we're not going to hold hearings. Some of them refused to even talk to the guy. Mm-hmm. They just basically took their ball and went home. Right. So we're not going to do anything. Yeah. Which received a lot of blowback from people already frustrated with the um, the notion that maybe these people – work for them and they should do their jobs uh-huh. and that is one of their jobs is to at least have hearings right and take a vote and um it, they everyone dug in and um he went without hearings went without a vote yeah and uh 
I don't know what he's doing now. I guess he just kept his regular job. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I don't think you like lose your job and no, no, no. you like quit and move and everything. Right. Go on the trail. Um no, no. no he uh, I, uh, yeah, I I but I think the the more to the point like you're it's got to affect your reputation, you know what I'm saying? Like even if it had it was no fault of his own, it's still like a black mark on his history at least. Well, it was a big deal because this was um it's kind of tough to pin down someone's uh, political ideology as a judge. They have a few ways of doing it. There's something called the Martin Quinn score for Supreme Court justices, and they compare how they vote relative to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's something else called the Judicial Common Space score, which measures their ideology based on the ideology of their appointing presidents mm-hmm. and home state senators. And then... Uh, I think this is from Washington Post. I read an article that they're basically trying to suss out how liberal is Garland. Right. He was super centrist, wasn't he? Well, they said in the end that they looked at all those scores and then they did one more where uh, they basically looked at the law clerks that they hired. Uh-huh. Because generally you're going to hire clerks that agree with you and clerks who want over you. to work for judges who they whom they agree with. Right. Um, and they looked at what their the clerks' political donations where they were. So what's this guy's score? They said that he was center left in the end. Sure. Would have definitely swung the court more to the left. Uh. But at the time, you know, it was sort of a showdown. It was like for the Republicans, they're like, do we, do we let Garland go through because he's sort of center left? Mm-hmm. Or do we take a chance that Hillary wins this election and goes whole hog left mm-hmm. to someone that's way more liberal? Right. Uh, and in the end, they dug in and, uh, well, everyone knows what happened. Uh, yeah, and I read both sides of this. Like, obviously, the liberals and the the Democrats were just going crazy over it. They're like, "This with the audacity of not doing this, right?" Yeah. Um, that that the, because the Republicans were saying, "Well, it's an election year, so we don't want to put a Supreme Court nominee on the Supreme Court for life during an election year, right?" right. And uh, the the Democrats said, "You're crazy. There's been like eight or nine Supreme Court justices who were confirmed on an election year. That's a terrible argument." But apparently, that was when the um, the I think the government wasn't split, right? There wasn't like the executive and Congress were in the same party. The same party was in power for like seven or eight of those confirmations to have gone through. Okay. So both sides actually had legitimate arguments, but. Right. It definitely seemed like a dereliction of duty from the outside looking in. Well, what it did, too, was it set up um, the Gorsuch uh, situation now, which is Democrats are delaying the vote. And I think by the time this comes out, they will have voted. I would guess so, because usually I, I think McConnell said by April 2nd he'd be confirmed was his estimate. Yeah. Well, they delayed it one more week a couple of days ago. Oh, OK. But um. Regardless, it's, it's, you know, imminent if it hasn't just happened. Mm-hmm. And so they set up the situation now where Democrats are dug in and they're like, don't expect any votes from us right. to confirm. Yeah. And then the Republicans are saying, well, if you do that though, we don't need a simple, we just need a simple majority. We can use what's called the nuclear option. Which we talked about in the filibusters episode, I think. Yeah. So they the Democrats would filibuster, then they would use a nuclear option, which means they can kind of rewrite the rules right. and confirm with a simple majority. And then, there's a fear that if that happens, that will just be the norm going forward. Yeah, that they'll use that for everything. And and uh, on the one hand, it will definitely be the Democrats' fault because they used the nuclear option first. Right. But they they used it for a bunch of Obama appointees back in, I think, 2013 or 15. 
and um, they they said specifically this does not apply to Supreme Court nominees. Right now, the pendulum is swung the other way. The Republicans are in control. If they use the nuclear option for the Supreme Court nominees, that'll that'll just be like there'll be nothing off limits any longer. And yeah, they'll, the, it, there will be no filibuster power in the Senate any longer. Yeah, it it really underscores just how ugly things have gotten. You know. Yeah, it's pretty ugly these days in Washington. It is. Uh, and, and we should say, we'll, we'll take a break in a second, Chuck, but we keep talking about the Senate. The House has nothing to do with this, actually. Is that why they're pouty? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Um, it's strictly the president appoints and the Senate holds com- committee hearings and then debate and then votes. And then the person is either confirmed or rejected, almost exclusively confirmed. Right. And if they are rejected, um, they can be submitted again. But it usually doesn't make sense to unless something big has happened that makes the president think that they can get confirmed. Right. Which happened, I think, with Andrew Jackson. Is that right? Yeah. Um, in the 18... 1836. Yeah. He had a guy named Roger Caney, who I'd never heard of before, um, who he submitted. Guy got rejected. And then there were elections that changed the complexion of the Senate. Yeah. That was much friendlier to Jackson, so he did it again. Guy got confirmed. he brought him in with a like a baseball hat on. Yeah, said, "How about this guy <laughs> instead?" Fake mustache. <laughs> um, and George W. Bush did the same thing too, but he his guy John Roberts didn't get yeah. rejected, but he nominated Roberts twice in the same month for two different seats. Oh, that's right. And the I second that. time he got confirmed. So we'll we'll um. There's a lot of politicking that goes on behind this. A lot of thought goes into it, not surprisingly. And we'll talk about all that stuff right after this. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Oh, 
So, Chuck, um, this is not, it, again, this isn't taken lightly. Um, it is a hollow and vapid charade and a kabuki dance and, uh, it's ridiculous in a lot of ways, but it's, the end result is really, really important. And that is that you have a Supreme Court justice who's one of nine voices mm-hmm. that are, that, create the law of the land yeah. here in the United States and that they're on there for life. So everyone, again, takes it extremely seriously. And there's a lot of things to be considered when a president is is even picking a nominee from that list that they have. Yeah, the, you know, even though we said there are no rules for qualifications, there's a long history that's kind of become accepted as qualifications, yeah. which we've talked about in you know, attorney, generally a federal court judge. Um, so once that is kind of sussed out, uh, we talked about ideology a lot. And um, you're not going to find, as Ed points out, the perfect fit where someone agrees with everything that you agree with as sure. president. Yeah. Uh, but what you want is someone who, by and large, will side with your side. When it, when it's, like I mean, a let's good be honest. Fella. <laughs> yeah. You know? Sure. He's like us. But again, it's not going to be a perfect fit. Yeah, like, but you also want someone who probably has a good chance of getting, uh, confirmed. That's a big, that's a big point, right? So like, that, there's a lot of factors that go into that selection, right? So yeah. obviously, if you are a conservative president, especially like a steeply socially conservative president, you're going to try to find somebody who's a pretty socially conservative ideologue, right? Yeah. And that'll be your, your pick. But you may want to stop yourself and think about this first. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Who's in control of the Senate? Yeah. That's a big one. Sure. If it's the opposition party, well, then you may want to consider somebody who's um, uh, maybe a little closer to the center because your person might get rejected. Mm-hmm. And if you're just an outside observer saying, well, who cares? It's it, they'll, they'll get rejected. Pick somebody else. You, you said you have a list. Go to the next person, right? Right. There's a lot of political ramifications for this, right? So if if you are a president and you're picking a pretty radical nominee, um, it it can make you look bad, especially if you're not that popular of a president. Yeah, and it can also have a lot of bearing on uh, midterm elections Mm -hmm. and how the public uh, views the direction the country is going as a whole. Yeah, because if the Senate goes along with your radical person and the public's not down with that person, that's going to be a uh, a negation on ba- on on the ballot. Like you're right. you're you're not going to look good at all because of this Supreme Court nominee pick. Yeah, the the whoever um just left, whatever whether it was a retiree or uh, in the case of Scalia, someone who just died mm-hmm. um suddenly um, the outgoing justice is going to play a large part in, and again, depending on what party's in office, what uh, party holds the Senate, right? Uh, yeah, on because who gets the replacement? Can you can you get somebody pushed through? And if you can't, it's not going to look very good on you as the president. Right. Yeah, and basically with Gorsuch, um, I looked him him up as far as where he might sit or is predicted to sit. He's pretty right. Yeah, From what I saw. Obviously, he's pretty right, but they said that he would right now. At least, you know, this is from uh, all the the studying done from those different uh, methodologies that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. They said he would sit 
second to the right, uh, next to Thomas, the silent Clarence Thomas, right? <laughs> who apparently is the furthest right at this point. Yeah. Um, and then you know it goes all the way through down to uh, Sonia Sotomayor, who's uh, the furthest to the left. Gotcha. And then uh, Mr. Kennedy in the middle. Uh-huh. Man, what a powerful dude he is. Yeah, really. To be I'll the swing he, vote. He gets gift baskets all the time. <laughs> yeah, he probably. Muffin baskets. Yeah, he has muffins every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, depending on, and people forecast this like way in advance. I'm yeah. like, it's not just Supreme Court justices. It's appointing, appointing judges all throughout the system in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Republicans have had a, a a tactic for years now that's really paid off for them where they have really worked hard to appoint as many judges, conservative leaning judges throughout the system mm-hmm. and staunchly tried to oppose any liberal appointments. And, um, you get those lower courts. I mean, people don't pay a lot of attention a lot of times mm-hmm. to these lower court appointments and it's made a big difference, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Over time. Sure. If you've got that many more bullets in the chamber, just in as far as like conservative rulings, yeah, I mean? just all over the country. You know, if you have more of your people in place mm. in lower courts, they're going to be more uh, clerks that mm. work for them that are conservative, and then eventually they rise up, and you're probably going to have a better chance of getting a Supreme Court uh, oh, gotcha. nominee appointed who is conservative. It's an incubator. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. The farm system. Sure, <laughs> pro- they probably love that uh, <laughs> terminology. Yeah. Well, you were saying Sotomayor is uh, farthest to the left and Thomas is farthest to the right. Right now, that's what they say, yeah. And I think you were saying earlier, too, that you know, depending on who's being replaced, that makes a decision on who's picked as well, too, sure. right? Yeah. Because if you're replacing a, a far right seat with a far left n- nominee, you're going to get some serious um, pushback from the right or vice versa. Yeah. And that's why this election, you know, that we just went through was so important because there are some aging members of the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, if you get to a point like Nixon got to a point four Supreme Court justices. Yeah. And they turned on him like a pack of jackals. Yeah. Three of them did. I'm sure that's, how, that's what Nixon thought. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's and this is kind of a pretty good demonstration of how Supreme Court nominees uh, they're appointed or they're nominated by presidents, but they are in no way meant to be beholden to presidents. They right. should not be. It's it, it's they're not doing their job if they're ruling in in line with what they think the president wants to hear. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to why they're in there for life. Like mm-hmm. they probably do feel. I mean, they still have their ideologies, but they probably do feel like, all right, I'm in here. They can't take me out. Right. Um. There's probably some mechanism to take them out if they there did is. something really bad. It's a uh, it's impeachment. It's the exact oh, okay. same process that uh, you would get rid of a president with, where the House impeaches the person and then the Senate votes to convict or not, and then gotcha. they're removed. It's only been threatened twice. Oh, One really? of them was a Nixon appointee. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but I was looking, like I said, at Garland, and the uh, I kind of got started digging into history, and. Um, in the modern era, Ant- uh, Antonin Scalia is rated as the number one most conservative justice in the modern era. Is that right? That's what it said. See, because I have and Thomas I don't... further right than him, and that Gorsuch would be even further right than Scalia. 
Yeah. I, I didn't probably... create that. That's a that's a WAPO created. Well, I didn't create this either. Okay. So uh, this we have was conflicting sources. Well, this was Stanford University and the University of Chicago, Northwestern, and Harvard. All right, I'll, I'll defer to yours. Yeah, but it was based on. Um, it just depends on what they use. Let's just say they're both super conservative. Okay. But I mean, one of the things they looked at and they like to look at is campaign contributions, either by, like I said, clerks or by them. Mm-hmm. And they said based on Gorsuch's Gorsuch's mm-hmm. campaign contributions, they said that he would be more conservative than 87% of all other federal judges. Yeah. That's pretty conservative. When, uh, Rehnquist was supposedly number two. And I, they don't have Thomas. They, where do they have? They have Thomas at number seven on my list. Wow. Uh, I don't know about that. They have him on the furthest right right now, at least in the sitting justices. Well, and then there's people, like I said, over time that might change a bit. Uh, John Paul Stevens was the guy that was in there for 35 years, and apparently he became more liberal over time. Um, and then Burton was very conservative, but he ruled against segregation. It's mm-hmm. so, like you kind of never know. Uh, yeah. David Souter became, he was a Bush appointee, and uh-huh. I think he was one of those that, like, conservatives were really mad at. They were like, you're not nearly as conservative as we thought. <laughs> Souter. They would have never picked you. Yeah, and I mean, you just can never tell. You can't tell, and the whole point is, is that makes a good justice. That's what you want. Yeah. You don't want to be able to look at them and be like, oh, this is how they're going to vote, and be right every time. You want to be surprised. Because if you can just point to a Supreme Court justice and say, this is how they're going to vote, they're doing a terrible job. They're voting ideologically, not on the merits of the case. Yeah, it sounds funny to say that you want a Supreme Court justice. Like, you never know what they're going to do. <laughs> An unpredictable. <laughs> like Clarence Thomas. He didn't speak for seven years. Who knew? Right. I did not see that coming. Sandra Day O'Connor. She a... wrote a, a penny farthing to work every day. <laughs> right. We didn't know that. Yeah. Judge Rehnquist had a huge heroin problem. <laughs> oh, you got anything else? Uh, yeah. One of the things that Harriet Myers was criticized for, the J- Harriet Myers nomination by George W. Bush, was that somebody had dug up that she had called George W. Bush cool at one point. Oh, really? And that was used against her. Huh. Well, they were worried that she was, she would be beholden to him or right. feel beholden to him. Because he was so cool. Cool. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, we didn't cover this. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, Arthur Goldberg, appointment of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Jewish, and he took his oath on the Hebrew Bible and on the traditional official court Bible, which is a Christian Bible. And he signed that because everyone has signed it. And he said, you know, I just want to – I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. Even though I'm Jewish, I'll sign the Christian Bible just to kind of maintain that continuity. Right. But when he was um, – he said it was really neat when he was sitting at his bench for the first time – he uh he opened up the drawer and there was a a copy of the constitution mm-hmm. he, cut, he said it was a dog-eared copy of the constitution that actually belonged and it was signed by who uh Oliver Wendell Holmes pretty neat yeah it was just in that drawer right he calls him that old yankee from olympus no idea what that means, <laughs> but either. it meant something to Goldberg, I'll tell you that he said he was looking for like a notepad yeah and there it was yeah he he thought that was pretty awesome Well, I do, too. It is pretty awesome. And if you think Supreme Court nominations are awesome, you should go look them up. There's plenty of stuff out there. It's pretty fun to watch. Uh, If you go back through old articles, every nomination 
cycle or whatever pattern it follows um, has people griping about how you can't tell anything about this nominee. Yeah. And they never say, well, it's like that for all nominees. Anyway, take a trip down memory lane. You'll amuse yourself. (laughs) You can also type in uh, the word Supreme Court in the search bar at How Stuff Works. And since I said Supreme Court, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Georgia Connection to Trail of Tears. Hey, guys, I enjoyed the episodes on Trail of Tears, uh, which I literally just finished. I live in Calhoun, Georgia, which is home to the new Ekatoa. Echitoa. She says, yeah, she says Echita. Oh, even, it's even serious, sir. And I think that's right. Uh, historic site. It is home to the print shop where the first English-language Cherokee newspaper was printed, the home of Samuel Wusta, among other things. It's a beautiful and fascinating place. I think all uh, North Georgia kids have gone on a field trip there at least once. There are also road signs I drive past every time I drive to and from my mother's house, indicating that I am actually driving where the Cherokee marched from their homes. Very sobering. The home of Chief Van is also nearby. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to go see that stuff. Yeah, because it's not too far. Uh, I enjoy your history episodes because the way you explain history in layman's terms and make it interesting to someone like me who couldn't quite stay awake in history class in school. Uh, I believe learning about history is important to help prevent society from repeating big, shameful, costly mistakes. Uh, thanks for the work you do and all the stuff we should know. Have a blessed day. That is from Tiffany Waits. And Tiffany, if you don't listen to stuff you miss in history class, from our colleagues Tracy and Holly, you should check that out, too. For sure. It's great. Sounds like it'd be right up our alley. Who was it? Tiffany Waits. Thanks a lot, Tiffany. We appreciate you writing in. And if you want to be like her and get in touch with us to tell us some cool stuff, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com.